You're listening to the Stoic Solutions Podcast, practical wisdom for everyday life inspired by the ancient tradition of Stoic philosophy from Greece and Rome. I'm your host, Justin Vakula. This is episode 90, a manual of Reformed Stoicism with Peter Stankiewicz. Recording in April of 2020, we speak about overcoming adversity in a pandemic, mindfulness, mindset, happiness, and finding fulfillment, drawing on themes presented in his new book, A Manual of Reformed Stoicism, released by Vernon Press. Visit my website at stoicsolutionspodcast.com for past episodes, social media links, helpful resources, and a form to contact me. Support my efforts through Patreon to receive special perks, including having upcoming podcast guests answer your questions, custom-made podcast episodes, and private one-on-one calls to discuss whatever you'd like. Visit my other podcast project at hurdygurdytravel.com to learn how to make money, save money, and travel the world at next to no cost with credit card rewards, deals, and loyalty programs. Today's guest, Peter Stankiewicz, is an author and philosopher from Poland who published Does Happiness Write Blank Pages on Stoicism and Artistic Creativity and Manual of Reformed Stoicism, both by Vernon Press. On with the episode. Enjoy. All right. Thank you for joining me. Well, thanks for having me. All right. We're here to discuss your new book, A Manual of Reformed Stoicism. But first, we're recording here April 14th, 2020, amidst a pandemic. We'd like to talk about that first. How has it changed your everyday life? We've been uh, staying at home for almost a month now, which is a challenge always, you know, psychologically, but also uh, that we have a two-year-old around. It makes, you know, everything just more... Uh, more complicated and more and more demanding lockdown situation with you know remote remote work and and everything like that. Uh, but basically, on the philosophical on the on the historical side of things, I believe that you know this uh, the, the entire lockdown, the, the entire pandemic situation is kind of a in a way a visualization of stoicism in the sense that you know it makes everything more intense. You cannot you you cannot escape. The fact that we are in a in a difficult situation, you cannot escape certain problems, certain challenges. You cannot escape asking yourself certain questions about what exactly you want to do with your uh, with your time, with your life, and so on and so on. So, in a way, it kind of makes everything more tense, more intense, and kind of more you know more more questioning. And then, if if this pushes someone into stoicism, then you know why not? <laughs> right, right. And how how does stoicism help in a time of radical change like this? Things have changed. Whatever that is that we are experiencing right now, uh, it is a great time to you know to to read Stoics and to practice stoicism uh, in a way because it's a very particular time, very specific time. And stoicism kind of stoicism is something that is both timeless and timely. Kind of reminds us that for me as a human being, every time is. Specific every time is uh, very particular in a way. The metaphysical position I'm in is always just the same. And the uh, pandemic situation we are experiencing right now is kind of, as I said before, makes it just more tense, more explicit that I need to, as a human being, I am facing certain number of certain types and certain certain types and numbers of problems, and I cannot avoid them. And in the pandemic situation, it just it, it's, it makes everything more real, so to speak. That would be 
probably the um, the style answer here. And as always, whatever I have to uh, take on, it is the best way to go if I take it on stoically. So the same goes with the pandemic. Whatever I, I I'm trying to to I'm trying to cope with the situation in stoic way, which in which I I do not always succeed. But the important thing is to is to try. Right. Some people might experience some high levels of anxiety, despair, uncertainty is definitely with many. So stoicism is giving us a framework on how to tackle these things. Anxiety, fear, uncertainty are very human things, very human feelings. And the pandemic situation just kind of makes it makes it more intense. It is impossible to not see that anxiety, fear, and so on. It is, it is impossible to not experience that. So it, it in a way, it brings the, this human metaphysical situation uh, in, in a, on a higher level. And of course, you know, every, everyone is talking about it right now, I and mean, what to do with that, how to deal with that, and so on, and so how to, you know, live with the situation, which are very stoic questions, obviously, mm-hmm. if, if you follow them with stoic answers. Right, with without the ability to just uh, go and travel and change our surroundings or indulge in entertainment outside of our apartments, maybe. Right, yeah. some people, instead of facing problems in some cases, they'll say, oh, well, forget it. I'm just going to go to the movies. I'm just going to go on this trip, whatever. And the Stoics even warn us that we can't escape our own thoughts. Wherever we go, we're still there. So here's this time where we have to face those challenges our life is radically changed for the time being. As you said, we cannot travel, we cannot do all the number of things that we are uh, used to be doing normally. The the common wisdom uh, has it that whenever whenever there is a disruption in your life, whenever you're forced to kind of realign the way you're living your, you know, daily daily life, daily life, it is a good time to ask yourself certain questions. In a way, they are kind of imposed upon you. And therefore, this makes it a good time to, you know, to 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 deal with stoicism. Right. I, I really like Seneca's chapter, the letter, a lesson to be learned from the burning of lions, where he talks about a man who revered his city. And all of a sudden, there was this great fire, this conflagration, as he called it. And he, he was thinking, how can I rebuild from this? Everything is so different now. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, I hope, uh, you know, we are, it, it's not the conflagration still. I mean, the, 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 I hope that the world is not coming down in flames. Anytime soon, uh, I hope you know this is not the path we are we are on right now. But definitely, uh, you know, the coronavirus is a huge um, is a huge challenge, psychological challenge, but also political, economical challenge, and so on and so on and so on. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's basically where the uh, the entire teaching of stoicism uh, you know takes effect. So as, as I said. Uh, it's a good time to practice stoicism, to turn to stoicism, but also, you know, somewhere in some way, paradoxically, the stoics will say that it will tell you that, uh, you know, every time is uh, is good to turn to stoicism. Right. There's the thing of you, you keep training for the Olympics, but the Olympics is today. <laughs> the the event is now. Don't don't delay. Time is creeping up on us. Right. Yeah, exactly. And and, and you have that in my book and, you know, the, the manual of reformed stoicism that the uh, that you need to focus on the present day and on the present action that you have to act deliberate in a deliberate manner and so on and so on and so on that you know the, the present time is the only plug in that we have the only the only platform we are able to work upon and whatever is uh, in the past or in the future is kind of you know not in our, not in our control in a way unreal so the only way we uh, we we kind of put our effort in is is the present moment so yeah that's very that's a very stoic thing although for the olympics and the guys who've been uh, you know uh, 
uh, training for the Olympics for, for many months, and now the Olympics are postponed. Oh, I, I was reading the metaphorical Olympics here. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but that, that's also in a literal sense. It's a it's a good case because that I believe that for the for the sports people that must be a very very challenging and difficult situation. And I'm I'm not sure uh, if I would be able to cope with that stoically. Yeah, and, and in some cases, people can see these apparent negatives as some positives, where maybe the athlete can say, "Oh, now I have time to train more." Now I have time to refine my practice or sitting at home, I felt, oh, well, I have all these items that I have to do. I have these goals and now here's some extra time to do that. Of course, I don't prefer this situation to happen. We don't wish disease. I think of a Seneca who said it's only the madman who wishes the disease to come. But if the challenge does come, I'll be ready for it. I'll be prepared and I'll make the most of it. Perfect. That's a perfect historic reasoning, and that was basically what I was, uh, what I was, you know, prepared to say later on uh, <laughs> in, the, in this interview. But in the sense that, from my point of view, and this is this is the this is the angle I take in my book and in my work on stoicism in general. You know, the, the stoic teaching is that you have very limited number of things in your control, uh, which basically is, uh, yeah, it's a very short list, and on that short list. You have the values you are trying to upkeep in your in your life, and the goals you are shooting at, like for example, train for the Olympics, and the the way uh, the the general direction in which you are trying to shape your own moral character, uh, and getting to do those values and goals. If, for example, my goal is to to, pre- to be best prepared for Tokyo twenty twenty Olympics, and then when this uh, goal is uh, forcefully crossed out of my list, then I, the, the 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 stoic thing to do is kind of to turn to another goal on my list. For example, to focus more on my, uh, you know, on my family or on some other duties that I that I was having re- not regarding the Olympics. Yeah, so that was the that's the stoic reasoning. I need to keep that list of values and goals long enough so that any turn of events like cancellation of the Olympic Games won't, uh, you know, won't disturb my decision making. I mean, I will always have something. The goal is to always have a goal or a value to shoot at, regardless of the external circumstances. But in the in this particular case, the Olympic Games, the actual Olympic Games being uh, being called off or postponed, it is a very difficult and stressful situation for for the folks involved. I believe. Right. So, how can people adapt? You talked about goal setting. How how can we work on that? How can we establish these? these challenges for ourselves or some ways that we want to improve ourselves. This is actually one point in which I believe in my interpretation, this reform with stoicism kind of diverges a bit from the original doctrine, because I believe that uh, today, meaning in the 21st century in, in the world we, 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 we presently live in, uh, we need uh, much more individual much more room for individual choice and for personal uh independence than the ancients had in mind the ancients meaning seneca marcus aurelius when i read the ancient stoics and when i kind of immerse myself in ancient in the original stoic doctrine it strikes me as a bit of a a one-size-fits-all kind of thinking that you need to uh, you need to assume certain stoic way of thinking and it will benefit you and, and and this is the this is it will benefit you but it is one and the same way for every person today as i said in the 21st century i believe the thinking should be should allow much more latitude for choice in mentioned goal 
setting and value setting. So, for example, guys who are training for, for Olympics don't, us- don't usually uh, write books during their training uh, program. But let's say I'm trying, to, my plan for 2020 was to publish a new book, let's say, and to um, to write some pieces for, for the internet or for traditional media. I mean, some smaller pieces. So, And if my big book gets, let's say, postponed because of the coronavirus, that may be painful, but then I get more time to work on my time that I wouldn't have if the if the book was on its track to be published. And basically, the stoic the stoic optimism, as we can say, is that you always have somewhere to turn to. You always have some values and goals that you can pursue, no matter basically no matter what your situation what your situation is. And the the, the big challenge and the big you know courage that is required in human life uh, is to you know to be open minded enough to find those those values. So, for example, with a, with a sport person trying sports person trying to you know uh, be prepared. For for the Tokyo Olympics, the, the the Olympics gets gets postponed. It may be a severe blow. Yes, that's a very difficult thing. Uh, but the Stoics will say there is always something other, something else to uh, work for. So maybe some other games that you can uh, that you can participate or you can kind of reschedule your schedule training program so that you are you won't be you know perfectly fit this year but you will be you'll be more prepared be open minded so that you can see that there is always some value or goal that you can pursue no matter what your situation is right the stoics talked about acceptance a lot and things yes being outside of our control all these external circumstances so we're not to wholly depend on one thing happening or casting our certainties toward the future right that we're to understand and embrace the fact that life is volatile in ancient times people dying at a much earlier age people being exiled and now uh, we get we get a slight taste of that here with the pandemic yes exactly what i was about to say yeah that uh, the pandemic the 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 coronavirus is kind of a, a one big you know reminder of what the uh, the past used to look like, maybe not in a literal sense, but yeah, it's kind of a uh, it's kind of a uh, blowback from the uh, from the blast from the past from from some ancient time. Right, and probably a lot easier for us as <laughs> we have better standard of living, we have technology, we have all these other things to occupy it. It seems so strange to me when people are talking about I'm bored. There's nothing to do. What am I to do where yes. every day I could keep myself very occupied and productive and also mix, mixing in a good amount of leisure as well? If you want to talk stoicism behind the word productive, for instance, then we, that's, the, that, that's exactly this reason. That if, if I want to be productive, I need to, in a way, rely on my own uh, decision making, to uh, rely on my own goal setting, rely on my own uh, planning on what I'm trying to do, achieve, and work on. You know, and th- this is this thing. If if you are relying on the so to speak outside world for the agenda on your own uh, in your own life, then you will be uh, you can be significantly disabled if if the world shuts down around you, right? And so this is this type of thing that you need to, and that's perfectly in line with my reformed stoicism, that you need to be very conscious and very self-aware about your own values and goals and, and, and about setting them up for yourself and following them and crafting them in a way 
uh, that is that makes you in a way immune to outside uh, to outside outside events. Right. It's about having that strong mental framework and embracing many of these lessons and virtues throughout the text, whereas many people perhaps didn't or don't have that framework and they're just going about day by day. Maybe they don't have these set goals and stoicism can certainly help people with that to orient themselves for a positive philosophy of life and even talk in the text about finding meaning in life, finding a sense of fulfillment and thinking about what really matters to us and not being overly concerned about things like fame, appearance, notoriety, all all of these things that people might place all of their hopes in. But maybe that doesn't amount to that much as they would have thought. The, the word positive, again, rings very well in my ears here, uh, because this is something I believe Stoicism is, or at least should be, it, that, it, that Stoicism shouldn't be perceived, should, shouldn't be seen as just a, you know, a kind of a shield or a defensive philosophy against the you know, uh, blows of fortune and those, all those you know, disasters and setbacks that happen to us in, in life. It, it is it, but it is much more than that. Uh, stoicism enables us to be as productive and as positive as it is possible in a given situation. I'm never, I, I never would be able to be as productive as I am, or as positive, if I'm positive, uh, as I am, uh, I, uh, if I were stoic, I mean, it, it, it is a general, it is a general observation. Stoicism is not about just defending myself and in a way, passively accepting the way uh, things are. It is about empowering my agency to do whatever I can do in the best possible form and manner. So that's a point which, which is in, in reform stoicism, very important to me. That stoicism is, a, in a way, is about being on the offensive with our, uh, you know, projects uh, for our own life and uh, of our own moral thinking. It's not about being on the uh, on the defense all the time, just kind of shielding ourselves. Right. You might see some articles here and there about, oh, 10 life hacks from Stoicism, but they're not delving very deep into the philosophy or recognizing some of the wisdom from the ancients. Life hacks are kind of the concept of life hack is in a way something which is negative in, in, in a sense, right? That you have a problem, so you need, you, need, you need to hack that. You need to be smarter than that. You need to kind of find a way to work around the problem. But the thing about Stoicism is that in my uh, in my opinion at least is that it is useful relevant vital and kind of empowering even if we do not have any problem or adversity in our life whatever our situation is we will benefit from approaching a situation in a in a stoic way. That's the uh, that's one of the points I believe in. Yeah, and, and even uh, embracing a frugal lifestyle. That's been something that's been really important to me. Whereas, okay, if I can be more careful with my spending, oh, I don't need that Louis Vuitton wallet or whatever designer item. I, I can be pretty happy with what I have, being prepared, and then that avoids getting in this trap of the paycheck to paycheck lifestyle. So that's one. Uh, that's another important, very important topic for. Because yes, on the one side, uh, uh, on the one hand, you are absolutely right. You shouldn't do all the things you mentioned. You shouldn't, you know, spend what you do not have, and you know, yeah, and and live a luxury, overly luxurious, luxurious um, lifestyle. Particularly if you don't, if you cannot afford that. But on the other hand, and this is very important to me, I don't think that stoicism is only about a frugal life. I mean, uh, of course. 
uh, frugality and this idea of simplicity and above all focusing on what is really under your control. That That's a stoic tenet. But it is important to realize that stoicism is much more than that. Stoicism is not just about living your life very simply and very frugally. You can be, as Marcus Aurelius says, wherever you you can live, you can live well. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you are a very rich person who can afford all, all the, the things you mentioned, like Louis Vuitton and other stuff, <laughs> you can do that stoically. This, this is important to me, that stoicism is not necessarily philosophy of asceticism. It is not about renouncing all the right, uh, right. material material wealth and so on and so on and so on and this is tricky and this is the this is the sophisticated point here because yeah in many cases i mean most people who uh who have money i mean it's a very common occurrence that people who have money will kind of spend it spend too much of it live too luxuriously and they will kind of identify themselves through through the material goods right Mm -hmm. and this is obviously a non-stoic thing to do stoic will never identify himself or herself through the material goods and through the wealth that they have accumulated. The, 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 stoic thing, uh, the stoic thing to do is to use the material outside goods, your wealth, money, possessions, whatever, as an instrument, as, as tools that you, that you use to your own goals. And it is not important, again, it is not important uh, what kind of tools you have or how many of them, but what, uh, but the, what you can make out of them, the use you uh, the, the work you put them, uh, what kind of work you put them to. That's that, That's the point here. Right. And from a, bo- a broader case, there's a mindfulness that's called for by the Stoic authors of just paying attention to what's going on, being aware, being in the present, and really questioning the value of everything. What must be traded for what? How are we to live our day, right? Uh, what are we going to do today? It was even uh, what Marcus Aurelius saying, man was not made to uh, stay under the sheets. Oh, it might be comfortable, but... Just staying in your bed all day won't won't amount to much. You you can be more than that. There's this call to action. Yes, absolutely. So uh, starting from the uh, there are kind of two lines of thought here. Starting with the uh, starting with the latter one. Yeah, absolutely. The man is not made. The, you know, no human being is uh, is destined to to stay in bed. The thing is that stoicism is a philosophy of living an active life of doing things and of being productive and positive with our own life our own life and this means you know getting out of bed uh, literally and also in the in, in a more general sense and you know taking on uh, life and all the uh, all the challenges and demands that it, it has uh, for us so yes we need to live if we want to live uh, stoically then we need to live an active life this is I, I believe this is true both in original stoicism and in my interpretation in reformed stoicism too. So that's the that's one thing. So yeah, I totally believe I do practice mindfulness a bit myself. I mean, it's not a consistent thing, but you know, every other or let's say month, I have a I have a, this kind of you know return to mindfulness and trying to follow its routines. And I totally believe that stoicism and mindfulness in certain dimensions are close to each other and uh, they are not rivals, uh, they are not enemies, and they can work uh, together. They, they go together very well. And there is a lot of stoicism in mindfulness and there is uh, vice versa, a lot of mindfulness in stoicism too. The idea of you know observing your thoughts in this kind of non-judgmental way, just you know letting them go and not not be and, and learning to not get get attached to thoughts this is a very 
this kind of, the, the, those ideas coming from mindfulness are, are are very stoic too. This is the key stoic realization that me myself, my I I I am not the same thing as my as my thoughts. Thoughts are to some extent not under my, not under my control, and therefore I need to be able to kind of observe observe them as they just pass, as they they go by, they kind of uh, flow downstream, and through mindfulness I can. Uh, I can learn to do that, and it is a very stoic skill. So yeah, there are very, there are many. There is a lot of uh, there is a lot of common ground between mindfulness and and stoicism. Right, a lot of talk in Epictetus about challenging your impressions, those automatic thoughts, or perhaps those developed thoughts about things, and saying, okay, maybe. I should question this. Maybe things aren't as bad as I'm making them out to seem. Maybe I'm just catastrophizing here, right? So being skeptical about that and trying to distance ourselves from that. He, he mentions anger, for instance, as being something that can be quite destructive, something that he would experience but doesn't want to and wants to become better and, yes, distance himself from that. I believe this is totally the common ground between mindfulness and, and stoicism and those uh, the, the conceptions and in, in reformed stoicism in my in my book I call uh, them narratives I believe this is the more the more modern more fitting term uh, narrative the story that we are kind of telling to ourselves uh, about things the way we frame things the way we kind of narrate the the, the, the world to us ourselves this is the, the narrative we have uh, we need to first realize that our misery and happiness does not depend on facts and events themselves but on the narrative or narratives that we have in our head about them just you know this is the kind of a translation of the concept uh, of the idea of conceptions or impressions in Marcus Aurelius so uh, we need to first of all realize that we are the, the problem of identity that we are not the same we are something different than our conceptions or narratives uh, we have this capability to uh, be independent from them and then to shape change them change them according to our will and you know it's it, it will never it will never be a fully successful process but we are able to control them. To, a, to some limited degree, and that's already a lot. Right, and we're to have some realistic goals. We're not going to just suddenly uh, wake up tomorrow and be suddenly radically different, but it's just a, a process. And certainly being aware of those negative emotions, those faulty beliefs that we have is, is a great start, whereas some people would just not be aware at all and continue on their ways. Yeah, absolutely. And this flashes back in a way to, to mindfulness again, because this is what mind, mindfulness is all about, that you cannot, you're not able to stop your thoughts coming up in your in your mind entirely. The, the only thing you are able to do is, is you are able to kind of detach yourself from those thoughts. You can observe them in an independent, non-judgmental way. Mm -hmm. No one is able to kind of squash completely the voice in their head, but to get some control through kind of this non-judgmental observation and being kind of above and beyond that voice, this is the thinking mindfulness. And again, this is very similar to stoicism because this control over the narrative the voice we have in our head is kind of very limited but still if we if we uh, if we exercise the little power we have that's already already a lot because if i uh, this is this is clear in epictetus that uh, he says that when i you know try to force myself using my own terms now uh, when i whenever i successfully try to force my 
the stream of thoughts that I have, then it will kind of very easily catch on and follow the direction I wanted to go. It's, so it's about exercising the the powers we have, and it is a constant struggle, right? You're never you're never fully successful, and the, already the ancients were were aware of that. That you know, that to be a perfect stoic, it is a very a very rare occurrence. Right. So we're not going to set that high of a standard for ourselves, but certainly we're going to set a good standard, right? Something that's realistic, something that we can do. And even in the works of Seneca, he talks about even the most practiced musician, even the most practiced orator or speaker, they still have that kind of anxiety, that blush of modesty, as he says. So no matter what we can do, sometimes we can't completely get rid of some of these emotions that we have, but we can certainly recognize them, handle them well, and still find a lot of joy and positivity in life. It's kind of an aspiration that we are, we are trying to project, so to speak, project ourselves in a certain direction, and we will never be able to achieve that ideal for you know fully and uh, consistently. But the effort made in this direction is always beneficial to us. And even a very small step, a seemingly very small step, means a lot and changes our life a lot. So that's the uh, that's my thinking. Yes. Right. And there could be a lot of negative self-talk and people who just beat themselves up over certain things, but the Stoics don't encourage us to do that as all, where some people might say, oh, I'm terrible. Oh, I'm unlucky. Oh, this and that. And uh, taking on all this blame and just punishing ourselves in the process. The Stoics certainly aren't encouraging that. Basically, the Stoics will tell you that you do not have to speak about, to think about yourself in this harmful, self-debilitating way. Uh, that's kind of obvious, but they hold the the in the entire challenge is in the implementation, how you learn yourself to not think about yourself in a, in a negative way. Uh, and I, I believe that this kind of harmful thoughts about oneself, I mean, psychologically harmful, uh, self-debilitating are very, very common. And I, I think that most people, most people deal with that problem. And again, stoicism kind of teaches us how to realign, how to override these negative emotions, negative thoughts and negative patterns of thinking, right? So to change the, those patterns of thinking to some more positive stuff. This is the, this is the stoic, uh, stoic direction here. And to be more specific, Specific. For example, some time ago, I kind of uh, came upon this idea that whenever something adverse happens and whenever you have some kind of a major problem in your life, try to find three silver linings in that and mm -hmm. try to just spell them out or just put them down on the, uh, on the sheet of paper or just say them out loud, however stupid, however, uh, however stretched they seem, however however irrelevant they may seem and it's this kind of a mental trick and i was i, I kind of for curiosity tried uh, i i started doing that and it works i mean even if you come up with a silly thing uh then it kind of places magic on you because you are the stoic sense of that is that you are you are learning yourself to realign uh, the way you think you're kind of showing yourself that you do not have to follow the stream of your thoughts that you are able to uh, you're able to to redirect that stream and that's a very uh, empowering and and great tool even if it sounds stupid at, uh, at the outset as it did to me Oh, no, there's definitely that message of hope within stoicism and even some of the authors talk about journaling their thoughts to just be more aware of what's going on, especially during the night where we could be within our own thoughts before going to sleep and there aren't all these other things going on. 
that's for snowcat you kind of you recap your entire day and you you know you do the plus columns and uh, the entire summation of what happened yeah but you my, my deeper idea here was that even if something that first of all again in in the 21st century in reform stoicism in in the present day we don't have to kind of follow everything by the book we can we we are in a, in a way supposed and we have the right to to cherry pick ideas from the broad spectrum of stoic uh, teaching and if something works for for example for you the idea of you know doing this uh, before the before bedtime if it works for you then you can go with that if uh, the uh, the idea of finding three silver linings in every problem works for me i can do i can do that part so this kind of individualization that you me and everyone else have the right to to pick and choose whatever they uh, whatever works for them uh, because again stoicism is broad and uh, and and multifaceted thing uh, and we need to allow for uh, for individual choices within that spectrum right even seneca referred to ideas of rival schools as being good ones where he would mention epicurus for instance a lot in his text i, I didn't mean going going that far <laughs> <laughs> but the idea, the idea is that, for example, in my book, you have those, you know, 26, I believe, chapters, and each and every of them is one principle in a more precise way, a spiritual, like in Pierre Hadot, a spiritual exercise. Uh, and you have 26 of them in my, in my book, for example. And uh, my idea isn't that you have to follow all of them at once or that you have to, you know, kind of embrace all of them, uh, you know, implement all of them in your own life. The idea is that you kind of immerse yourself in this, uh, in this stuff and then you, you, you kind of put on what works for you. And that's the that's the thing here. You don't have to to work stoicism in all dimensions and all directions at once. Uh, you 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 need to kind of suit it for yourself. And let's talk about death. As I think with the coronavirus, people are worrying. People are wondering, oh, maybe I'll get it. How am I going to face this? What what are some thoughts that you have or the ancient Stoics have surrounding death? Not only Stoics, philosophers in general tend to talk a lot about death. And in antiquity, there was even this kind of a saying or this adage, this idea that uh, that that philosophizing is nothing more than actually, uh, you know, learning how to die, or that you, you know, uh, to to learn to philosophize to uh, is to learn how to die well, or how to be able to die well. Very deeply ingrained in the in the, in the philosophical tissue way uh, of thinking. But the, the the problem here, and why I'm calling it a, a tricky answer, is that. Uh, I don't believe that we, and I, I mean we as people, as, as human beings, we do not necessarily fear our own death uh, that much. I mean, it, okay, it is a fearful death, is a fearful fearful thing, but in, in an actual life, in the, as, it, uh, as it really happens, we usually fear more for the death of a loved one, a parent, a child, uh, a significant other, and so on, and so on, and so on. That's the that's the curious thing because the the uh, the ancient authors spent a lot trying to uh, trying to explain spent a lot of time uh, trying to explain to us that we shouldn't fear our own death. The, the problem is that I believe that we do not actually fear it that much. We are more fear more about the the prospect of uh, of a loved person dying and uh, potentially. And this is something. This is a much bigger challenge. I believe. 
Right, and what are some steps that we can take to prepare? In, in Epictetus, you'll find all those crazy ideas that we should, uh, every time we put our uh, we put our uh, child to sleep, we should kind of imagine do this kind of visualization that the that the child that the child will die during the night, or that, for example, uh, or we should imagine uh, some kind of a favorite cup that we have, and then that this cup breaks, and we should apply apply the same way of thinking to our loved one or in a in a different in a different way of thinking that we should always keep in mind that our whoever we want to whoever we want to call that our friend our significant other our child or or whoever else whoever else we care for is just a human being which means that they that uh, they are mortal. They are able. They, they they will die at some point, and therefore we should not be surprised or frightened by the prospect of them dying because it's a natural thing, and this is the, in the in the essence of of being a human that we are mortal. So that's the that's the ancient way. That's the ancient way of thinking, and uh, I do have a bit of a problem with that because uh, it, it it is uh, it is kind of uh, tough in a way. That I'm not sure we should. That, that that is a problem to me. I mean, this. If you'd ask me about what problems I see in Stoicism in in, in the 21st century approach to Stoicism, then I pro- I probably will will uh, will will tell you this that they uh, the the Stoic teaching about how to prepare against the prospect of a of a of a of a loved one dying is kind of you no know, not in sync with the uh, modern sensibility. That would be the. And I see an acceptance there that there's again the talk of everything in life is liable to destruction. So value the present, prepare for these adverse outcomes. There's the the talk, and I, I have a hard time saying it sometimes. It's what the premeditatio malorum or anticipating yeah, these absolutely. anticipating these yeah. negative outcomes or things that we would view as negative. So that way we're prepared and we're not just suddenly taken off guard. Yes, absolutely. This uh, in Latin it's premeditatio malorum, just as you said, anticipating it. Um, in a more psychological language, is called negative visualization. Uh, in my book, in turn, it's called anticipate mishap, anticipate ba- bad things that may happen, and that's very true. Whenever something, whenever you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not sure about the, I'm not certain about the outcome of some decision or or, or what will happen next. I need to be prepared for the worst. But the thing is that when we're talking about, you know, my favorite sports team losing a game or, you know, me not making enough money from my investment or, uh, you know, that kind of stuff, it's kind of, you know, easy and it makes sense to be prepared in this deep sense to be prepared for the worst. Uh, But when it comes to it, you know, a human being that I love and I, I care for, the idea of, you know, actively visualizing their death or kind of being prepared heard for their early departure is kind of a is a bit more problematic or a whole deal more problematic are there other parts that you talk about in your book where you depart from some of the ancients wisdom the one big thing that we we didn't cover is that in the ancient stoicism one of the one of the dogmas was that the world the universe in general is kind of well organized that it, it is a rational living being full of this kind of divine force, divine potential that kind of keeps everything together and makes it rational, makes it reasonable, well organizes kind of harmonious whole in which everything and everyone has have their part to kind of 
play, right? Uh, so that was the original view. And this is something that I'm not sure that today in the 21st century observing uh, what's happening in the world, uh, I'm not sure if we are and knowing also knowing uh, in the scientific way th knowing things that the ancients didn't know about how the how the things are going in, in the natural world but also you know ob observation of you know the political life and and everything else that has happened in recent centuries this is kind of makes me very very reluctant to this idea that the world is a well organized rational being and uh, in my in, in in reform stoicism in my view it is much more important to be able to live in a way to live stoically to be able to live stoically no matter what we think regardless of what we think about the world whether or not the world is the universe is a well-organized union of parts which you know full of divine forces and so on or if it is a more you know chaotic uh, place uh, in which you know there is just the randomness of atoms and void as epicurus would say uh, regardless of how we resolve that metaphysical debate we should be able to live like uh, like stoics and this is something i put emphasis on that it is not about you know it, 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 that the stoic life today shouldn't be based on the uh, on the idea that the world that, that the the universe is rational good and uh, and well organized but more on the this kind of independence whatever the world is like we should live stoically and this is uh, on some level it is a departure from the original doctrine on some level, this draws from Marcus Aurelius in his meditations these kind of dilemmas between the chaotic world or organized world that they are clearly present. So I believe this is not something totally, totally unorthodox, but uh, I'm kind of building on one. Right. And even in Seneca, there's talk about not being a slavish to the ideas of the past that we can recognize past teachers, but build upon what they've done. And in some cases, we'll recognize some differences and we'll have to move on rather than being stuck in an completely ancient mindset, we could meld the ancient observations with the modern, and in some cases, we'll find some discrepancies. The entire project of Stoicism in, in the in the 21st century, for in my case, reform Stoicism, as I call it, is that how we, as you said, how how we can be Stoics and not be enslaved to the past. How we can take the original doctrine and kind of readapt, reframe it to make it useful and uh, and vital and and valid uh, today so at some points we can just follow the ancients and in some points we just you know need to need to depart from their teaching but this is basically what i believe uh, makes the uh makes that philosophy uh, something relevant and uh, and inspiring and some also have the misinterpretation that stoics are joy killers or they're not fun or they're just these uh android uh non-emotion kind of beings and <laughs> and i've countered that in the past and said that i think stoicism allows for more joy in life because we're not bogged down by so many of these intense negative emotions we're seeing the world as it really is so that allows us a lot more mental room i think it's kind of a different line of thought from the previous one but yeah referring to the idea of joy i believe that the the ultimate goal of stoic philosophy is to be joyful is to find happiness and that it is very it is okay to to use this that the, the phrase stoic joy is not paradoxical what we want to find as stoics is stoic joy and the the optimism of stoicism is that mentioned stoic joy will be always more profound and more lasting and more satisfying than any earthly joy 
any ordinary joy, any any usual joy of of human life. That would be that would be the optimistic part of it. And the entire teaching of Stoicism uh, is about how to find that uh, that joy that you need to focus in the things that you have in your control and so on and so on uh, and so on. So yeah. Uh, that's a on the because you know the, even the word stoical is kind of this idea of you know lifeless figure with no emotions at all. Or this is this is this thing, and I believe this is a stereotype. Stoicism is much more active, much more jo- much more joyful than many people think. Yeah, the dictionary definition that you'll see is a lot different than <laughs> what the ancient philosophy is. That these words have acquired some meaning even with the Epicurean. Some people might think, oh, go yes, go out there and feast all day. And <laughs> I don't know, just uh, some indulgence lifestyle, right? <laughs> yeah. So this is this is a kind of a paradox, right? That you, uh, I mean, in in ordinary language, and you know the the way that, that people talk, uh, you don't hear many times of people saying that they are Kantian or. <laughs> Humane, those humans over there. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So you're laughing, which basically proves my point. But you have this word for, you know, for being stoical, but being stoic attitude. This makes sense in the plain language. In in a way, stoicism was so successful, uh, so successful as a philosopher that it made its way into ordinary language and into the way people uh, talk but it came at a price and this price is kind of you know oversimplification or even stereotypization and my uh, my project in reformed stoicism and in other things i do in stoicism is to kind of reclaim is kind of you know get this word to its proper meaning and to you know to 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 battle to combat those stereotypes right so that the language could be much more difficult and we're talking about an ancient tradition and language is very misleading if we talk about you know a word coming from ancient greece from two millennia from two millennia back there are certain uh certain associations with that that i totally do not believe are uh, correct yeah even, even happiness as people today might think of it as okay that indulgent lifestyle but the stoics are thinking about it a lot differently and thinking about this concept of eudaimonia or eudaimonia right that but I'm, I'm not sure how many people really think that uh, still think that uh, happiness is to be found in indulgence but obviously that's a happiness and eudaimonia because the thing here is that uh we it is diff- in a way it is difficult to kind of precisely define what is the goal of stoicism uh what what is it all about and what's the what, what what's the what's the actual end of all of this but if we agree certain you know if we if we uh, if we agree on certain intuition then it, it it is kind of very easy we just say that we all are trying to live a happy satisfying good life and some will call that uh, eudaimonia, some will call that happiness, but if we do not stick on the level of words, we, I believe, uh, understand, you know, this pursuit of happiness, as the phrase goes, we understand what you're talking about, and this is something I believe stoicism is based upon. A good way to mostly wrap things up there. Uh, just two more things to uh, lead us out here. Can you tell us more about the modern stoicism organization that you're part of? And it is a website, modernstoicism.com, obviously. is a kind of a loosely defined network of, of people doing, doing stoic things. I mean, writing books about stoicism, promoting running Facebook groups on stoicism, uh, doing stoic meetups, and kind of various activities on various fields 
all of them involving stoicism. And they are quite, this is quite serious. I mean, there is this annual uh, Stoicon event uh, we, we mentioned before, I mean, before our interview started, that is uh, kind of happens every year. This time, this year is, uh, it, it is scheduled to take place, place in, uh, in Toronto in October. Uh, and it's, 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 you know, it's uh, a couple hundred people uh, from all over the world, so this is a this is a serious thing, and this is there is a there is a blog with you know a few entries every every week, I believe, and basically the the modernstyleism.com is also a good you know landing site for the if you want to learn more, get to know more about what what's what is happening in stoicism online, it's a good place to to go. So that's the idea. That's kind of a uh, organization in which people do various things about stoicism. Some of them are at, in the academia, like fully fledged uh, stoic scholars. Some of them are basically, uh, you know, authors writing books on stoicism. And another uh, topic. Some of them are therapists who use. That's another very interesting uh, avenue to pursue. Uh, therapists who use stoicism in their practice and write about their experiences. How can people find you and your work online? Say, but I'm, I'm working on the website for my reformed stoicism, and it, it should be up someday soon, so uh, that will be probably be the best way to go, the, the, the site for reformed stoicism. All right, great. And for people to buy your book? Oh, yeah, just uh, vernonpress.com or, or the Amazon. The, the publisher is Vernon Press, and with a, you can you can uh, you can read parts of the books online. All right, and that's once again a manual of Reformed Stoicism. All right, and uh, listeners, you can find the links in the show notes. All right, any final any final thoughts? Uh, I think it was a very deep and meaningful conversation to the extent that I I have this uh, nice feeling that uh, we have you know covered all the most important stuff and that just you know thanks for having me and uh, nothing to add at this point which is in a way a stoical feeling right? <laughs> that, that, fulfillment that fulfillment we, at the end <laughs> we've done good work here and uh, I think I think we are good so thanks for having me thanks for uh, listening and uh, yeah. Uh, Keep calm and be stoic. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for more content. Visit my website at stoicsolutionspodcast.com for past episodes, social media links, helpful resources, and a forum to contact me. Support my efforts through Patreon to receive special perks, including having upcoming podcast guests answer your questions, custom-made podcast episodes, and private one-on-one calls to discuss whatever you'd like. Visit my other podcast project at hurdygurdytravel.com to learn how to make money, save money, and travel the world at next to no cost with credit card rewards, deals, and loyalty programs. Podcast music, used with permission, is brought to you by Phil Giordana's symphonic metal group Fairyland from their album Score to a New Beginning. John Bartman offered free consultation and audio edits for episodes 51 through 63. Thanks to generous patrons and fans of this podcast who help support my work. Have a great day.